The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Well, welcome everyone back to this very exciting edition of The Video Insiders. Hey, Dror, how you doing? I'm doing great, Mark. Very excited, as usual, to be here on the Video Insiders. And today, we really have a very special episode for everyone. You know, Dror, we uh, say in our uh, tagline, I guess that's what you call it, a second-generation codec nerd. That's you, of course. <laughs> that's me, that's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm just first-generation. Right. But, um, you know, I, I think this guest um, definitely goes back into your... Um, sort of family lineage, so to speak. So yeah. this is this is really going to be fun, right? That's right. And uh, it might be a good opportunity to uh, reveal to our audience why you call me a second generation <laughs> codec nerd. <laughs> That's because my father was involved in uh, video compression. He worked at uh, Zoran developing video compression chips, and he also had some contribution to the uh, development of the JPEG and MPEG standards. And if we, we talk about, you know, video insiders, I think our guest today is the most video insider. If you talk about somebody who is the leading expert on digital video technology and is not only talking about it, but actually doing it for the past 30 years. So um, in this episode, we are very honored to uh, have as our guest today, Leonardo Chiarilonia who is the uh, chairman and founder of the MPEG committee. Hi, Leonardo. Uh, hi. Welcome, Leonardo. Hi, everybody. How are you? We are doing really well. Boy, 30 years. You know, I just read your, your LinkedIn article. By the way, I, I have to plug this uh, for all of our listeners. Leonardo wrote a absolutely required reading for anyone who's in the video encoding space. It's on LinkedIn. It's a LinkedIn article. It's called 40 Years of Video Coding and Counting. So, uh, boy, it was an amazing article, Leonardo. A lot of history there. Yeah, it's a lot of history. It's, uh, it's really the case of revision that goes back, uh, I, I cannot say how much, but probably the, the earliest uh, uh, years after the World War II, when, uh, uh, when the telecommunication industry thought that, uh, okay, they could transform the, the Android network, uh, making it digital, and uh, then voice and, and video would, uh, would go together as bits, uh, but you know, not uh, not in just a PCM sampled form because it would take too much bandwidth, but the compression could do the job. And you know, then in addition to uh, to telcos, we had consumer electronics, broadcasting, IT, and you know, the, all the industry, which is as far as I can say, almost everybody nowadays uh, who have jumped on this digital video story. That's right. How did you become the chairman? Well, I uh, I can tell you very it's very easy. I uh, I always had the the idea of uh, of making something common common to all. Uh, you know, I, I, for, since childhood I was disturbed by by this many video coding format video format that existed in in the analog space. And let's say now that we change it to to digital because uh, digital is coming, this is the opportunity to make one format. 
And, uh, and yes, uh, MPEG-1 um, was the, that one format, and then it was followed by, by MPEG-2, MPEG-4, and, uh, and all the other video coding, video compression formats, because that is the nice thing. Uh, I mean, there are so many uh, smart people around, and they apply their, their neurons, and they find every day new ways of doing a better job, keeping high quality and still requiring less bitrate for the same pictures. Right. This is a you know, really amazing development that happens with every generation of the video codec. When you think that you've reached the limit, new methods are found and developed together by all of the companies, each one contributing their part. And you see that bitrate is reduced again, again, 30%, again, 50%. And uh, this is always comes, you know, right in time when uh, with the increase of the use of uh, video over broadcast networks and then over, over uh, the internet. And you talked about um, combining work of, uh, of different entities, different groups together. And I think one of the most... Uh, fascinating references you make in that uh, LinkedIn post and your personal blog post that's called 40 Years of Video Encoding, uh, you make a reference to the uh, dictum of the, 40th, uh, of the 14th century Chinese novel, Rom Romance of the Three Kingdoms, which <laughs> yes, is uh, yes. th things split for a long time must combine and things combined for a long time must split. You even write it in Chinese letters in your blog post, <laughs> which I found very interesting. And you're actually referring to the fact that ISO and ITU, ISO was responsible for the uh, standard for the uh, media entertainment space for the broadcast, and ITU was responsible for the media standards for the communication fields. Sometimes they worked together, sometimes they worked separately. So they started separately. There was MPEG-1 developed by ISO and H.261 developed by ITU. Then in MPEG-2 and H.262, it was single standard. And then they split again on, on the low bitrate codec or the general uh, versatile codec, that the, the general use codec, which is uh, H.263 on the ITU part and MPEG-4 part 2. Again, they were developed separately. And then if we look at all the recent standards, from AVC through HEVC to VVC, in all of them, ISO and ITU have joined the forces. W what do you think is the reason behind this collaboration of, of these uh, two standardization bodies? And do you think this joint work has, uh, has proven itself? It's working good. Okay, let, let's take the easy part of, uh, of your question. And uh, that, in that uh, an assessment of the collaboration, well, I think that... Uh, my philosophy is that in, in every piece of land on the, on the world, the, the percentage of good neurons is constant. So you find the good people, smart people all over the place. And the fact that one has a, has a banner and the other one has another banner, this is really stupid. In particular, if, if you're, you are using smart people to fight the one against the other, that is really stupid. So... Um, <laughs> With this, uh, with this uh, joint project, I think we, we, we did great things. It doesn't mean that separate projects were not good. It doesn't mean they could have been better if they had, had been done together. So my, uh, my assessment is definitely positive, and I do hope that this collaboration will continue for as, much as, for as long as I, as I can say. Uh, the other part is, well, more or less I've already answered. 
I mean, it's a matter of people, it's a matter of companies, uh, strategies. I mean, it's too complicated. Uh, I usually rely on the goodwill of people, and uh, most of the time I am successful, but success is not guaranteed. Right, right. And it's interesting, uh, I think, also the convergence of uh, the entertainment and communication at, at all levels, you know, really supports this type of collaboration. I mean, for example, even this in, in this podcast recording, right, we are talking to each other over a conferencing platform, and then we're recording that and broadcasting uh, to the world, you know, the same audio file. So uh, it's really uh, communication and, uh, and broadcast uh, coming together. No, right, right. This is an excellent point. And uh, I am very happy to say that... Uh, uh, for for MPEG, MPEG one was really like uh, warming up the machine. For MPEG two, it was it was a great achievement. It is when we put together telecommunication, terrestrial broadcasting, uh, satellite broadcasting, cable recording on digital media. I mean, all these industries we, who have understandably a different business agenda. Eventually, they converge on the use on the same uh, format. The same principle extended uh, into MPEG-4 when, uh, when we brought under the, the fold of MPEG uh, the entire IT industry and uh, in the subsequent phases. So there is a merit in having a single format. A single format for a certain period of time because, like you've just said, smart people work and, uh, and the tomorrow they show you they have gained another 10% in compression. And... Uh, and at a certain point in time, an old standard is old, and you have to move to the next. You know, you in your LinkedIn article, you you sort of imply that maybe we're moving past the world where we can exist with a single codex standard. Maybe you can explain something about that. Perhaps I, I misread it or read it a little too literally, but do you really believe that we're heading into a, a multi-codec world? Well... Multi-codec world is is a reality today. Yeah, they are not small companies that are using their own uh, their own format. So it it is a reality. It would be good if um, if we could have a single a single format for those who wanted to follow international standards. But um, this is not it's not possible. Let let, let me say this. You go to a supermarket and you want to buy, I don't know, a handset or a camera or, or whatever. So you have a full range of price. And they are they all different products. Why is that? Well, because 20 years ago, uh, 30 years ago, they are, I mean, making a video encoder and decoder chip was really something complicated. And mm. therefore, people were very happy of using a single, a single format. Then the LSI technology, but also software, became more and more popular. And the people say, oh, I can do differently. That's um, not something that uh, I, uh, I, I support. But then uh, time moves on and on and on. And uh, for instance, and MPEG-1 is now 20, 27 years old. 27 That's years amazing. old means that uh, whatever patterns were there, 
they are no longer, I mean, uh, the, the holders of those patents can no longer enforce them. Right. The same can be said for MPEG-2. And uh, it will not be a long time when uh, MPEG-4 Part 2 and MPEG-4 Part 10 will, uh, will, be, will be 20 years from their existence. So this means that if you really want to do it, you can have a, a royalty-free or how we say in, in ISO, an option one uh, standard, which means that you have a, a, an international uh, standard, but uh, this standard is free of, uh, of royalties because, uh, because all the patents have expired. So then you see that, that there, there is already, by, by nature, because it is now 30 years of, uh, of video coding, actually, even, even more than that. Because of that, you can say that um, naturally you have two camps, one where you don't pay royalties and one where you pay royalties. Of course, you get a, you get a different performance. You buy a 500 euros camera, you get something. You buy a 100 euros camera, you get something different. That, that is obvious. But now things get more complicated. HCDC uh, is uh, it's a great standard. I mean, it's really great. I mean, the, the enthusiasm of, of so many people making so many contributions, testing and proving and, and everything, it's simply amazing. Only the people who have witnessed that can, can uh, see how great an effort it was. The problem is that uh, today it is difficult uh, to get a, a license of that standard because there are about 50 patent holders, and you know, it's very hard to knock at the doors of 50 companies and make a negotiation and eventually put together something, a license that, uh, that for which you can pay and you can use, uh, and you can use the standard. So it, it is difficult. So this means that uh, there is a possibility to, to make a mezzanine standard not one that is entirely free and not one that it is the best that money can buy, but something in between. You still have to pay, but not as much as you would pay for the best product. So this is the reality. It's a reality that is fought by the market. It's not, it doesn't have a technical foundation. It does not have. But, you know, we don't live in an idea world. And you know the fact that there is a market is what has ensured a continuous progress in video coding for 30 years. Because people who made a good investment and developed a good technology, they could put it in their standard, they got royalties, but those royalties, they kept on, on feeding their research. I mean, that is a virtuous circle. I am the last to criticize that. The market must exist. People must, must be remunerated. The problem is that it is too difficult. If you have 50 patent holders, you have a problem. Yeah, that, that is right. I mean, there are three separate patent pools, but this is still much, three times as much as you had with AVC, where there was a single patent pool. And one of those three HEVC patent pools even hasn't published their licensing uh, terms yet, at least publicly. And this uh, adds to the um, to the confusion that is, um, that is created. But I, I really agree with your observation that uh, the um, fragmentation of the market that we're seeing today with uh, other video compression uh, techniques that are developed as open source projects 
comes from uh, business reasons and not from not from technical reasons. And I think you addressed this in another very widely quoted blog post that you wrote exactly one year ago that was called the crisis the causes and the solution and uh, I'm sorry, bl- a solution a solution and a solution yes, solution. yes. No, no, not the solution. Sorry if you uh, misheard me. A crisis, the causes, and a solution. Right. So what, what was the solution that you uh, proposed in that, uh, in that blog post? And did you see this uh, materializing or solution you proposed? Has, has it been adopted over the past year since the blog post has been published? Well, I could say what was the solution that, that I thought of uh, in that post. I can say what about the... Uh, the solution that materialized uh, at the last uh, the last meeting last week, okay. and that is that we have um, this one that was standard called HCVC, for which uh, uh, they are the problem that exists, the problem that I mentioned. We have an excellent standard that is uh, is being developed, and uh, some people are concerned that it may be equally difficult uh, to practice that standard. Uh, so MPEG thought about that, and uh, and we made a call for a proposal for what I would call a mezzanine standard in terms of performance. And uh, the proposal that, uh, I mean, there are several proposals we have received, but uh, what we have on the table right now is a working draft. Is it something that is a two-layer codec. The base layer has a performance that is better than ABC by 30%. And the second, in the total, and the total uh, codec has a performance of uh, about 25% more than HVC, which is certainly less than the 50% that DVC promised to deliver. But, you know, it is something that has probably a less complicated IPR situation, and therefore licensing should be easier. Of course, there is no promise uh, IPR licensing patent and so on are such a complicated field that you can hope to achieve something. You cannot promise that you will deliver. And you're speaking of MPEG-5 EVC, correct? This this dual layer approach. Yes, yes, that is uh, the the standard. Uh, well, the the standard that, by the way, will will be produced, and this is what uh, our timeline says in. Um, in a year time, we will have That's the right. yes, which is the, the the final thing that industry can start implementing. It's a very interesting approach. I wonder, Dror, how 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 that will look practically. It sounds really good. You have kind of a base level of of, of performance, and there's essentially no royalty cost to that. But um, then you can turn on this enhanced layer. I wonder if that's going to be a path forward. Yeah, I think uh, s- several um, proposals have been made. And I think several proposals have been made for uh, codecs that are modular and can be that's right. yeah. changed or parts of them can be removed, you know, based on royalties or patent claims or whatever. And uh, I think even uh, VVC is following uh, this path, right? Kind of a modular codec. Yes, that uh, that is correct. So um, this having this uh, switchable flex uh, is the idea. If uh, 
as a result of the market situation, the licensing situation, a particular tool owned by a particular company is harder to use, then you can switch it off and uh, you have, of course, a less performing code, but still a functioning code. I mean, mm-hmm. this, this works. This works on paper. Uh, this works in, in a computer program. Like they say in English, uh, the proof of the, eat, of the pudding is in the eating. Uh, in this case, <laughs> right. uh, the proof is, uh, is the market. I have personally no doubt that this will work fine, but you know, uh, the jury is uh, still out, like they say. And can this approach be applied to uh, hardware uh, encoders, to chips that encode or decode video? This is what the people in the business say uh, they, uh, they can do, sure. Sure, it's not just a software that, uh, that can support that. But, but now you, you are getting me into a, a tricky situation because if you have a chip and, you know, this chip is installed in, uh, in a handset, then uh-huh. uh, the very fact that the technology is there, even though it is switched off, can put you into a difficult uh, situation. But, you know, uh, this, these are things that depend too much on licensing policy and, and so on. By the way, I don't want to think that there are good patent holders and bad patent holders. There are patent holders with, uh, with an agenda. Sure, everybody's an agenda. So I think that eventually no one has invested in developing a technology, a patent and technology, and then keeping that uh, w- without getting any royalty. So eventually things will happen. But, you know, in the case of, uh, of this uh, switchable flags, the situation is this. In the case of software, this is certainly doable. In the case of, uh, of hardware, it is doable. There is the problem of uh, the fact that you have the technology in the chip, and I don't know what the patent holder can say. Right, right. So you're right. Technically, it's doable to, to disable certain functionality, even if it's implemented in a chip, but the gates are there. And uh, that's, yeah. as, as you said, that, that can be an IP issue. It's also, you know, a size issue, a cost issue, a power issue. Maybe power not, because if it's disabled, then it's not working. But, you know, you put the gates there and they're not used. Uh, something, by the way, that happened to a lot of... Uh, processors or even cellular phone chips that had HEVC functionality built in. And uh, uh, still, that part of the silicon is not used until HEVC services are, um, are deployed. So that's yeah. also a similar, similar issue. I'd like to get back to this, um, to this new codec called EVC that came out of uh, the latest uh, MPEG committee meeting. And I, I was really surprised to read in your blog post of 40 years of video coding that MPEG has already tried three times to develop what you call an option one codec, which is a codec that either has no IP rights or has a free licensing of the IP by the patent holders. These uh, codecs developed, uh, all of them in the recent years, were not actually commercially deployed, and that's why the industry has not really heard of them. Only the people involved in the actual development of the codex were exposed to this. What you write in the blog post is that all of these three attempts, as as I understand, have failed because there were patent assertions against them. So they could not be classified as as option one. 
what have you learned from this uh, repeated experience to create such a codec? And how do you think this can be avoided with EVC? The problem is that it cannot... Well, with EVC... Well, with EVC... Let, let me say this. Targeting a, a type 1, an option 1, uh, which means royalty-free, video decoder, the baseline, was never the, a goal. I mean, we said it, it is nice to have it, but if we cannot achieve it, so be it. So what we want to have is a mezzanine standard. We don't want to have a, a necessarily a codec which is half uh, for free and half this mezzanine uh, codec. This is, this is not the intention. Mm -hmm. So if there will be patent assertions, then uh, we'll try our best, but uh, we, if necessary, we can, uh, we can, we must go to the reality. And you know, the problem is really this, and uh, it is the the ISO rules of procedure and uh, the the patent policy of ISO, IEC, and ITU. Why is that? That's because uh, in the case of um, if you if your patent holder makes a, a declaration where he says I don't license my technology, then ISO now requests to give details of that technology so that the technology can be removed. But if someone makes a, a type two patent declaration, which means I have the IP and I'm ready to license. Well, ISO does not require that you make explicit what the technology is. So this, this is what killed the three attempts. And because mm -hmm. in, in all cases, there were companies saying, I have IP and I'm ready to license, but I don't tell you what it is. And therefore, how can MPEG remove the offending technology if I don't, we, don't, we are given a list of 50 patents? Mm. That is not possible. That's a real issue. Yeah, exactly. I would like maybe to bring in an elephant to the room. You don't have to uh, relate, relate to this or discuss this if you think it's a topic that you, you don't want us um, to have. You know, we can remove this from the podcast, but it's... It's interesting for me personally to get your opinion on this topic. Uh, AV1, as far as I understand, is also trying to be an option one codec, right? A codec that is royalty free. Is there a chance that what happened in your uh, previous uh, three attempts to create such a codec where so suddenly somebody made patent assertions, could that happen to AV1 as well? I have no problem answering your question because uh, I say it could very well be. But, you know, in the case of MPEG, we are talking of things happening in a committee. But in the case of this organization we're talking about, we are talking of things that will happen in the market. And in the market, I mean, that's really outside of, of what I can, uh, I can say because... You know, in the case of JPEG, I'm talking the still the first still picture codec. A company for many years tried to assert 
one of their patents, and they they fail eventually. And so the same can happen in uh, in AV one. I am told I'm not don't follow particularly this uh, uh, this news on the on the newspaper. There was a patent assertion against the VP nine or VP eight. So things happen, but happen in the in in the course, and uh, and on that I don't have any opinion at all. Right. That's that's for the market to decide. Eventually. Exactly. Exactly. On the other hand, on the other hand. It is good if the committee that developed the standard can do as clean a job as possible. And at the moment, the fact that someone can make a, make a type two declaration and without giving any detail, I don't think that this uh, allows a committee to do a good job, a clean job. Mm -hmm. But this is part of the ISO Uh, process it's part of the ISO regulation so it's something that right now cannot be changed and this to answer a previous question of yours is one of the of the solution that I exposed in my in my past which is goes back a year ago mm -hmm. I see okay so what you you, you propose there that if uh, if this uh, rule was uh, modified it would be much easier to to contain the The IP uh, content of, uh, of the standard and actually to know which technology is, is included and what are exactly the IP uh, limitations of each one. Uh, now, I, uh, I can certainly understand that companies was the freedom to say, I don't tell you exactly what I'm selling you uh, unless maybe you sign an NDA, uh, this kind of thing. I can very well understand. And, you know, as a market practice, I have no problem. I do believe that if something is a standard, a company has an obligation. It cannot freely behave. Otherwise, they can simply say, no, uh, take it out. And they, there's no problem. But you know, the situation is, is like I said, ISO allows a company to say, I have IP, I don't tell you what it is, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm okay to license it. I wonder why, if the company says, I have IP, I don't want to license, the company in that case is forced to declare what the IP is. Yeah. Yeah, I can see the challenge there. I'm also struck by an observation of you know, the difference between developing a standard in a committee, and this drawer goes back to Leonardo's you know, response to your question about the elephant. It seems like You know, there are some additional challenges developing a standard in a community versus a consortium of companies where basically they just have to kind of worry or think about antitrust. You know, they can't be seen as coming together. But other than that, it's a very interesting process and, and discussion. Yeah, so they, they can do basically whatever they want behind yeah, the Doors. Exactly. Yeah. Behind closed doors. And, and yeah. really, other than antitrust, that's really the only thing they do have to be very mindful of, that they're not doing something, you know, anti-competitive. But, but other than that, you know, they can kind of, they can make the rules as they see fit. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It is uh, a challenging, challenging marketplace. Now, Leonardo, I know that January, so literally in one year is when, uh, MPEG-5 um, EVC 
is, uh, I guess, slated to publish. No, no, no. Do you no, believe publish. that publish is something that makes a uh, F- FDIS? Right, you're going to release the FDIS. Do you do you believe that that you'll make that uh, that the committee will make that timeline? I don't see. I don't see the why it shouldn't it shouldn't happen. It may it may not happen. Everything is possible, but I don't see why it shouldn't. Sure, happen. <laughs> that's right. Because uh, you know, so this this working draft uh, says the base layer is made of technologies that are more than twenty years old. So mm-hmm. that should be um, type one royalty free. The other one is that's made right. by. Uh, this is my understanding. Don't don't take my words as a, as as a declaration in the court. But my understanding is that the tools that appear in the enhancement layer, the second layer, are made by our technologies owned by the proponents. So now, how well these three proponents? And the rest of the committee can work together and make it uh, make a, a viable standard that we'll see at the end. But but you know it is one year time, and I do believe uh, that uh, the importance of uh, of um, of the target, the size of the market, will make will tell the companies working on on this project. That they have better deployed the right, the right yeah. power, the, the right expertise, and achieve the goal. I mean, we are not here sure. for for a, a game in the in the golf court. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't drag your feet. Exactly, exactly. as we would say. Then, yeah, yeah. The, oppor- then I, <laughs> the opportunity is moving right, on. But then I I, yeah. I agree. Uh, in a year time, uh, we'll see if, uh, if the promise is kept. I think that. It, in all cases, relevant cases, important cases, MPEG has always kept uh, uh, its a timeline, so I don't see why it should be different this time. Yeah, that's right. Whereas uh, some open source initiatives have not always kept the deadlines that they promised. Sometimes I think, that's my opinion, the development became difficult and timeline was extended because they were trying to keep that promise of being royalty-free, and sometimes it's... Uh, pretty difficult uh, to do this and you need to do a lot of modifications in the tools that you develop in order to keep that promise. So we talked a lot about uh, video compression, but uh, the MPEG committee does a lot of things beyond video. Even in the first uh, standard, MPEG-1, there was video and audio and MPEG-2 added uh, uh, systems layer, MPEG-2 systems, which to this date is... Already in MPEG-1, there was a system layer. Because uh, you, you you needed a transport for to store the file uh, on on the desk. Right, right, right. Those were, <laughs> yeah. I remember those uh, video CD discs uh, <laughs> that had MPEG one format uh, before the DVD standard was formed with MPEG two, and then with MPEG two, the systems standard was extended and uh, is used today widely in broadcast uh, TV over the air and cable and satellite, and even on the internet with HLS, it's still MPEG-2 TS packets underneath. So um, it's really a very wide deployment of that standard. 
Then in MPEG-4... But you should not forget the DSMCC, which is part six, and uh, and it is a necessary component in in broadcasting. Right, right, to control um, the media transport. And then in MPEG-4, a full media framework was developed with multimedia objects and and things like that. And now I've... uh, you, you, as as we mentioned, you just uh, came back last week from uh, a week uh, or week and a half full of uh, discussions. This was the MPEG 125th meeting in the Marrakesh, Morocco. And I look at the agenda and I see a wide variety of standards being developed by MPEG, which go uh, far beyond uh, video coding. And some of them go into coding of... Uh, video or scenes which are not even uh, uh, two-dimensional, but coding of, um, uh, of spaces where you can actually freely travel within that uh, space and still see every aspect of the video around you. So can you give us uh, some details on the most recent work that is being done in MPEG and what you see in the future for MPEG? Uh, right. I can say about what we have now and what um, and what we'll develop in the next few meetings. But moving, looking much further into the future is really, I really need a, a, a crystal ball. And I didn't bring it for home, uh, so I cannot, uh, I cannot answer this one. <laughs> so what do we have? Well, in, uh, in HVC, which I repeat is a great standard, uh, there's a, the omnidirectional video functionality. It has also a counterpart in uh, in in a format that is called OMAF, omnidirectional application format. So with this, we have uh, the first instance of uh, of consumers, users who can have uh, an immersive experience, a real immersive experience for video. So this is for VR. It's used for VR, yes, and for. Um, for audio, I mean 3D audio, which is part um, uh, part three of MPEG-H, where HCVC is part two, is a, such a good and powerful standard that it provides a, a fully immersive audio experience. So that this is uh, one milestone. We are working for a version two of OMAF because what we have now is something that we call three degree of freedom, which means... Uh, you are sitting on uh, on a chair. Your head uh, can have three movements, but you cannot displace your head. Yeah, you cannot. You move. cannot uh, translate uh, translate your head. But with what we are developing, right. so you know, some people call this the the those three sixty videos where you are stationary, but you can look around. Some people call this the fishbowl effect as if your head is stuck in a virtual fishbowl and then you can look to all directions, but you, exactly. cannot, you cannot move yeah, around. Exactly, that is yeah. the case. But, you know, you cannot, you cannot invent a technology uh, in a day. So this, is, uh, this has been a, moving in a further step is, uh, has taken quite some time. We have uh, a call for proposal that is out and submissions are due uh, for um, uh, March, end of March, uh, next meeting. And with that, we will be able to develop a standard for what we call three dot plus, which means that you are still there. You can still have your three directional movement of uh, of your head, but your head can translate a little bit. 
uh, how much is a little bit, well, that mm-hmm. depends. But for sure, what we want to give is the possibility is to avoid that the user feels that the parallax is not right. So th- this is what... Uh, right. So you, you change the angle, you move a bit, and, and you see the, the change in the scene based on your, your location. I mean, you have two eyes get get the different things. So this is this is what we are doing. Right. So the standard for that will be delivered in July 2020. And then we are working on, um, let's stay in the video space. We are working for six uh, degree of freedom, which means that uh, now uh, the movement of the head that can be anywhere, actually you can even walk in a, in a virtual space. And another technology, uh, which is called the light field, we, we have investigations. We have given times uh, for the standard, which is 2023. That, uh, that is a possibility. I would not put my signature on, on that date. And then the, the last, uh, uh, which by, is by no means the least, also because uh, it will uh, come pretty soon, is uh, point cloud compression. So it, it means that uh, you represent uh, the, the object in a space, in a 3D space, by means of uh, samples on the surface of the object. So this is a point cloud. Mm -hmm. The point cloud can be static, can be dynamic. And we have, um, it's about 100 people. Uh, It's a big, big project because the industrial interest is enormous for for something that will allow uh, you to, to watch an object maybe in a, immersed in a video 360, rotate, can change the, the viewpoint, rotate the object, and so on and so on. So this is, this is coming pretty soon. I don't want to give you the wrong day, but I, I think it should be uh, January next year, so 2020, where we will have a standard for point cloud compression. And I can tell you that uh, all the manufacturing industry there are really excited. We are working not just on the pure compression, but also for a system layer for uh, like in MPEG-1, MPEG-2, MPEG-4 that will accommodate object in a, in a 3D space. Wow, that, that's really fascinating. So we're actually moving to a world that instead of representing like a rectangle of two-dimensional video like we have today in TV and on all mobile devices, you'll actually be able to represent, uh, truly represent a space with all of the objects in that space. And then you can transmit or play back that space somewhere and you can walk around and and actually feel truly immersed in that space because you have a very accurate representation of all of those objects. You're right, but I will, uh, I will be cautious about walking in a virtual space because that need, requires really an advancement of technology that is not maybe in the lab, so you can have it. So what we have uh, is something that is still displayed, presented on a 2D screen, but you can mm-hmm. act on the object themselves. So like I said, you have a video 360, but then you have an object in, in that, and you can uh, see that object, and you can change the viewpoint of that object and so on. Mm-hmm. I see. Re- really fascinating stuff. And I think, uh, you know, entertainment will, will move literally into new dimensions. Right, Mark? That's right. It's incredible. 
amazing work that uh, MPEG is doing. But if I may, yeah, uh, there, is, um, there is an application of this point cloud compression, which has nothing to do about uh, entertainment, which again goes in the spirit of what, uh, of what m was my original idea of bringing different industries to together uh, because they shared something common. Uh, format, a compression format. Mm -hmm. So the same can be said uh, of um, of this application of point cloud, uh, which probably will use uh, a, a different format because point cloud, we have uh, one project which is called video point cloud because essentially, how do you compress these points in the space? You project the points on a surface and then you get an image and then you compress that image. How do you compress that image? Well, mm -hmm. HCBC, of course. Uh, so, so, uh -huh. so this is interesting because you know if you have a handset and the HCBC the code is already there, then uh, you need a little bit more right. software to run the additional stuff for point cloud uh, compression, decompression, and uh, and you are done. So you don't have to change. Uh, your handset, even though most most likely the manufacturer will uh, will want you to change that, because the number crunching part, which is the the video decompression, that is already done by the HCVC decoder, which is already on board. So th this is the first. the other one is called the G PCC G for graphics, because uh, this is a technology that is based more on uh, on graphics technology. And the, the use for this technology is uh, for the automotive uh, market. Uh, you have a car with cameras, maybe six, eight cameras. I mean, the, the top range have mm -hmm. that, that kind of cameras or, or will have that kind of cameras. And they uh, capture the world around uh, the entire environment where, where the car is navigating and uh, compresses that information which can be stored or can be transmitted and so on. And why that? Well, because for instance, if you have an accident, then you know exactly how that accident happened because you have the recording made by, by these cameras and the recording is really satisfactory because it gives you a complete view of the space around and in particular other vehicles and so on. And... Um, so I can tell you that there are um, companies involved in the automotive business uh, uh, that participate in uh, in this work because it's a great addition uh, to at the beginning top range car, but later on uh, down to to more uh, common cars. And Leonardo G. PCC, I believe that's the correct designation. The, the, the underlying codec there is HEVC. No, the underlying no. standard. No, it's that's the different. BPCC, that one for entertainment purpose. Ah, yeah, that, okay. that is good to explore something that you already have. In the cars, you don't have an HCVC decoder, so it doesn't matter if it is a different because uh, oh, it's okay. essentially so this. Building. In the case of uh, point clouds for entertainment purposes, you can imagine that uh, the sampling de uh, density is very high. So it means that, that the images that mm. you get on, the, on these projections are really good images. But in the case of, um, of this automotive case, most likely it is, it is not, not all the space is assembled with the same density. And therefore, 
ACBC is not necessarily a good solution. So you need something else. Interesting. Wow. Well, this is, I see we're right up against our time. And so I think we're going to have to bring this to a close. But Leonardo, thank you for joining us. Uh, I think this has been an absolutely amazing interview. Yeah, it, it really was. I learned a lot of, uh, of uh, new stuff and, uh, and some um, uh, insights from uh, Leonardo, I think really go into the, the most uh, important uh, points in uh, video codec uh, development. And uh, I think we went from the history to the current development in the last, last meeting of MPEG into uh, the future. And uh, it's really a fascinating uh, world. And uh, we're very happy, uh, Leonardo, that you joined us in this, uh, in this podcast. So thank you very uh, thank much. Thank you. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Thank you all. And thank you for, for those who will listen to this podcast. But let me, let me close uh, with this. I, uh, I think I had in a, a role in kicking off this impact thing because this vision of bringing industry to share a technology, I think that is what made MPEG different from from the rest. But then uh, to keep MPEG alive for these uh, 30 years alive is is an understatement because, you know, at the first meeting we were 29 people and uh, right now they are, last last week we have 520 and the total number of uh, people registered to MPEG is 1,500. So, you know, to create uh, this body and uh, to make the standard that have changed the life of billions of people, affecting the life of billions of people every day, this is, uh, is what uh, amazing people like, uh, like Aaron Gill, who was one of the first uh, participants in, uh, in MPEG. And I mean, it was, he was a, a, a wonderful guy. I mean, it, it, it's the guy who questioned the thing and eventually he was right. I mean, you think it was a pain in the neck, but actually it's not, it was not true because he has pointed out a, a, a weakness and, uh, and by discussing and fixing it, uh, the standard has improved. I mean, it is this mil- uh, thousands and thousands of, uh, of people that have populated MPEG for this last 30 years uh, that we have to, uh, to thank because, uh, uh, they have delivered what people uh, use every day. Thank you. It's it's a great honor to hear this, and uh, I will obviously convey these uh, words to my father. And thank you very thank much. Thank you. Goodbye. Excellent. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders Podcast, a production of Beamer Limited. To begin using Beamer's Codex today, go to beamer.com forward slash free to receive up to 100 hours of no-cost HEVC and H.264 transcoding every month.